Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome in, Rose City, to another edition of the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. I'm Ryan Clark, joined here by Chris Reifer. And Chris, beautiful week out there this week. I happened to catch a Portland Pickles game on Tuesday, 75 degrees and sunny. Truly eclectic night in the city of Portland. It was it was tremendous. And you know how I how I know you're so excited about that uh, that Pickles game. You you went on Tuesday. Here we are recording on Friday morning, and you are still rocking the Portland Pickles hat. That's true. I actually haven't taken it off since He's, I left have you, the have stadium. You slept in it, the, I've slept and showered yeah. in this in this Portland <laughs> Pickles hat that I'm wearing. The folks at home can't see it because we have yet to uh, begin posting videos online of of our pod recordings, but. Uh, I am indeed rocking a Portland Pickles hat today. Uh, you know, gotta support my my boys in in green and blue and whatever colors they they choose to wear. I, and I do want to you know just assure our listeners that you are really not missing a lot by not getting uh, not getting the video end of uh, of, of this <laughs> podcast. There's not a ton of value other than the fact that you would see now uh, that Ryan is wearing a Portland Pickles hat. That, that that's the primary takeaway here. Um, otherwise, you know, there's not much to miss. Yeah, I've got like a Game of Thrones sword hanging on my wall in my bedroom, and that's pretty much the only like mildly exciting thing that you <laughs> might find with the uh, the video aspect. Uh, the lighting isn't great, so you know it, you're not missing much. Is is essentially what we're saying. And I'm currently in my breakfast nook, so you know, <laughs> that, which is like I like that speaks a lot to who you are as a person. If you have a breakfast nook, you're probably pretty boring. Um, and so visually, it's it's less than you know less than riveting do you have one of those uh one of those chuggy signs in there that just says eat like on the wall or or like uh or, or some kind of home goods thing that's in there that's uh that's got that in- indicates this is where breakfast is had or, or what you know i don't and i also feel like that like that trend which has been going on for like the like the better part of 15 years now uh, in home decor of just putting like words on the wall is super strange uh, when people are just like gather eat. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like, it's like somebody just stylized a label maker and called it home decor um and uh and, and needed to provide some guidance about what you do in various uh various portions of the room. Now I'm offending everybody who listens to this podcast that like loves, you know, word-based home decor but i i I find that strange so no i'm 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 not the the type that has you know instructions on my wall uh written out in cursive letters 
Also, you know, the other thing is sometimes I don't want to gather. Sometimes I just want to like, like put my feet up and watch a game. Dang it. Uh, and so like, <laughs> why does the wall have to be so pushy? Yeah, I know. Why is it telling you to socialize when, when you may not always want to do so, uh, especially yeah. lately, given, uh, given the reality of our time? Um, yeah, I mean, if you're gathering during Timbers games right now, it's like it's, it's a support group more than it is a celebration. Yeah, that, that's a good transition, too, because, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that a lot of Timbers fans could could utilize some form of, of gathering, be it in an online space or in person, a lot of it potentially involving drinking, uh, given the, the nature of, of the recent uh, recent games that the Portland Timbers have played. Uh, Three-game losing streak heading into the international break for the Timbers, the most recent being a loss to Inter-Miami, uh, two to one on the road, where for the better part of the game, they were essentially dominated. Bill Tuiloma scored a second half goal that that started to shift momentum. They had their chances down the stretch to potentially bring it even, but uh, ultimately ended in a loss. And, and really, the finish to the first half of the season could not have gone much worse. Gio Savarese expressed optimism in in certain senses about the the ability of this team to turn it around in the second half of the season and get healthy but he's also been very realistic in in describing the severe errors and issues that exist uh, within this team and and so uh, going forward Timbers uh, can can go into this break kind of looking at it as as a breaking point where they just start over new season begins in three weeks at, at the LA Galaxy, but at the same time, they've they've dug themselves into a bit of a hole that they're going to have to climb out of if they want to be in the postseason, which right now they're closer to being at the bottom of the table than they are competing for a playoff spot. Closer to the wooden spoon than the playoffs uh, is, is how it goes. You know, yeah, so three-game losing streak going into the break, which is not, you know, as we discussed, not what the Timbers needed, uh, given their otherwise slow start. And it's not just a, you know, this isn't a run-of-the-mill three-game losing streak, right? It's not like they went on the road to NYCFC, Seattle, and LAFC or something like that and had just some brutal stretch. That was a pretty accessible three-game stretch. The Timbers had an opportunity, uh, a legitimate opportunity, if they played good soccer, uh, to to rack up some points before the break. San Jose uh, you know, has been in better form recently, but I don't think that's the team that anybody thinks – uh, is anywhere near the top half of the league in terms of talent. Miami certainly is not. They're, you know, again, slightly better form uh, recently, but I mean, on talent, they're starting Ari Lasseter, right? You know, I mean, in, in the attack, this is a team that that has been crushed by sanctions. Um, and, uh, you know, I, and their, their sort of talismanic DP is, is, is on the outs right now. And frankly, still doesn't look very good. Um, and, and if anything, their improved form is, is, is a matter of, uh, addition by subtraction of having, uh, Gonzalo Higuain not playing. Um, and then they had a home game against a good Philadelphia team, but it's, it's a home game. And, and if you're a good team in MLS, you should feel like you can win a sizable majority of your home games. So that was a very bad <laughs> three game losing streak, zero points out of those three games is is i mean it's reflective of where the timbers are right now um but i think you you look at it and and you say if the timbers were even sort of a middle of the pack team that would have been an opportunity you know to come away i think at minimum you would say with four points uh out of that stretch 
maybe, you know, one, one and one kind of split the difference and, and you could come out of that feeling like maybe you're competent. Um, but the bottom line is the Timbers just aren't right now. And, you know, the game at Miami, the last 20 minutes was kind of some lipstick on that pig. And frankly, I think it had far more to do with the fact that Miami just ran out of gas after their, I mean, they were on two days rest after a 120 minute and penalties, uh, us open cup game in which they did play a lot of their guys. And, uh, you know, a, a, I think, I think the reality is the Timbers got pretty well hammered in this game until Miami just ran out of gas and the Timbers at the same time were bringing on some subs, uh, and some difference making subs Blanco and, and the like, um, that, that allowed them to get back into the game. But that doesn't change the fact that for the, the bulk of the game, the Timbers got whooped and going down to Miami, a team that's not very good and getting whooped isn't something that competent teams do. And so I, I think, uh, I think we, we said, you know, a week or two ago when we were recording, we're at the part of the season where you are your record. The Timbers are their record. They're a one point per game team right now. There's nothing, you know, they've had some injuries, but everybody's had some injuries and there's nothing really that softens that blow in talking to folks in, in the club and sort of being around. Do you get the sense that they agree with that perspective? Do they think that one point per game is reflective of who they've been as a team or, or do you think they think that it's sort of a, a, a harsh outcome for, you know, basically this first roughly half of the season? I think that they believe it's a harsh outcome, frankly, um, particularly uh, when, when you talk to Gio Savare, I say he he speaks a lot about how uh, Portland has been in a, a number of the games that, that it has lost or has, has fallen backwards into a draw. But after a certain point, you know, you have to think about that a little more critically. You got to you got to think that that sounds more like an excuse than any serious evaluation of the team. It can't be this thing every season where, you know, you start the first half of the year crappy and then suddenly uh, you turn the jets on in the second half of the season and make a run. You you can't rely on that because so many things have to go right in the second half of the season for that to even foment itself. You talk to folks around the club, players, coaches, uh, front office, they believe strongly that there's going to be a, a turnaround in the second half of the season, particularly with guys like Felipe Mora returning from injury. But they do recognize the fact that there are significant holes within this lineup that um, need to be mended, need to be filled. There needs to be moves made uh, in in the upcoming summer transfer window in order to get them uh, into a position to win consistently. And, and right now they... Um, one point per game is is very obviously not going to cut it. And frankly, that average looks like it's headed in a downward direction rather than upward, you know? Yeah, it hasn't um, been coming the other direction. No, it hasn't. And and these games, like you talked about, against these lower-level teams, um, if you are better than you say you are, um, you should be more competitive. You know, it would be different if this was a, a loss to a, a Miami team where you were competitive the entire night, you got unlucky near the end, you know, they, they slipped through yeah, on a counterattack. Weird yeah. penalty call or a, a, you know, goal off a corner or something like that. that. That's not how they're getting beat though. No, that's not it. Their, their last few games, they essentially have been getting annihilated for the better part of the game. And then towards the end, they sort of try to claw back and gain momentum, which in a sport like this, you can't really afford to do something like that. You know, I think of some of the, 
Seattle Seahawks teams over the years that have had bad first halves and then turn it around in the second half. Uh, football, you know, the, the way the game is structured, it, it's a, a lot different. And so you can maybe afford to do that a little more than you can in soccer. Soccer, your chances are so limited, particularly if your personnel is as limited as it is for the Timbers. Um, and so that, that's the challenge right now is, is trying to get the most out of a group that obviously is limited, but also recognizing reality and making the moves necessary to, to elevate yourself to at the very least competency. Because right now, this Portland team is pretty incompetent when you watch them night in and night out on the field. You know, even the game at San Jose, the Timbers scored a couple of goals. They were sort of ostensibly in the game. But, you know, it, frankly, it was the Timbers that nicked a couple goals on corner kicks. And and when you sort of watch the run of play, I thought San Jose was, you know, I don't know if I would go so far as to say dominant. I think certainly in the last half hour or so they were dominant. Um, but it, it, it was a just win for San Jose. It was a just win for the Union at Portland. It was a just win for Miami uh, in Fort Lauderdale. You know, I mean, to, to that point, I, I just think, you know, the I don't see sort of the case for we are better than our record at this point, um, because, it, you know, you're right. It's not like they've gotten unlucky in these games. Yeah. Felipe Mora has been out. But like, first of all, you know, Felipe Mora, good player, uh, certainly respect what he's done for the Timbers. Not a world beater. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, he's he's, you know probably a top half of the league striker but yeah it's not like he's we're not talking about Tati Castellanos no his return isn't going to be this this magical moment where everything that's structurally wrong with this team suddenly disappears yeah this is he's not 2018 Joseph Martinez like like let's 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 be a little bit realistic about this the Timbers have certainly had some injury issues that's normal that's sports that's soccer uh and and the 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 bottom line is it's not like they've been rolling out you know T2 players regularly they've been playing a lot of their primary guys uh, and not getting results, not getting results at home. Now, increasingly not getting results on the road. On some level, I, like I think it is sort of just natural and inevitable that a lot of that that teams sort of give themselves a little bit more credit than maybe they deserve. It's it's just part of the human condition. And so I, it's not that I I'm saying that it that it concerns me greatly uh, that the Timbers are are sort of thinking that that maybe this is a little bit of a harsh outcome from these first 15 games. Um uh, because I think basically every team in their circumstance has has that kind of feeling. But I also like I I hope there is you know uh, uh some more sober thinking uh going on about sort of the state of the team and 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 where things need to go over the course of the the um uh, the next, you know, few weeks, few months uh, in order to turn it around. And to be perfectly clear, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, could the Timbers make the playoffs without bringing in sort of a, a high level DP attacker in the summer window? I think they could. Um, do I like their chances to if they don't do that? No. The bottom line is the Timbers have three attacking DPs uh, through 15 games. They have combined for eight goals and eight assists. 
which like honestly is probably a, a number that that flatters them a little bit. Uh, a quarter of that production was Sebastian Blanco in the second half of one game against Sporting Kansas City, right? Um, Jimmy Chara, uh, who is their most in form and in health DP, has one assist in the last nine games. No goals, one no assist yeah. <laughs> in the last nine games. That doesn't get it done in MLS, period. If your DPs are producing like that, uh, are, are not producing regularly uh, and are not giving you that output, if your attacking DPs aren't producing, you're going to be bad, period. And frankly, I, I think there's a decent argument that that any list of the things wrong with the Timbers starts with that. Jimmy Char has been pretty bad and frankly looked at, against Miami disinterested. As the Timbers were, I mean, he got sort of moved to a wingback spot that isn't his natural place. But as the Timbers were making a push, as Miami was like jogging around the field, dead on their feet, to to maybe salvage a point out of what was a pretty terrible first hour performance that he was part of. You know, he was in a, a wingback spot that certainly allowed him, encouraged him to get forward, and he was nowhere. There were other folks who were who were trying to do it. Christian Paredes, I mean, not a perfect player, but I mean, he he at least is pretty consistently uh, throwing it out there. Uh, Blanco coming on certainly looked like he was lively and, and, and wanted to be a spark bill to Loma, you know, if it's not coming through bill, it's not happening right now. So <laughs> thank goodness, bill, uh, got his head to one noted offensive, uh, firepower starter, fire starter, whatever you want to call it, bill to Loma. Yeah. Right. But you know, I mean, but Jimmy Chara, your, your DP winger who you paid six and a half million dollars for, uh, in the winter of 2019 was basically, you know, doing regular duty as a, as a wingback. Um, that doesn't get it done, you know, and, and their other two DPs are Yaroslav Nishgoda, who, uh, but for being hurt has been in horrible form this year. And Sebastian Blanco, who is just sort of, you know, where he is at his stage of his career can still be a good player. Um, but it's not going to be as consistent and it's not going to be as prolific as it was in the past. Um, and so, you know, I mean, one of those three guys, all three of them, frankly, uh, the Timbers need more from uh, if if they want to be a, a good team. And, you know, the easiest one to move, I think, is, is Nishgoda in terms of being able to make that move without disrupting the rest of the team. But if that's the, the group of DPs that the Timbers are going to be riding going into the last, you know, for the last half of the season – I haven't seen a lot in the first half that tells me that they're going to be competitive. It, I guess, troubles me a little bit that here we are at the beginning of June. The window opens in about a month. There have been no rumblings from anywhere that a move like that is on the agenda. You know, I think there's reason to be concerned about the rest of the year if if it's not. What do you think? Am I am I am I being too overly critical of those guys? No, I. I, I think that you're you're definitely being fair, you know, uh, with with poor performance is going to inevitably come some level of criticism. And, and I don't think that um, any of those guys would would say that they are happy necessarily with their performance this season. Uh, if they were, I would be honestly pretty concerned <laughs> uh, because that would that would indicate that they they don't really um, particularly care. But I know they do. Um, all those guys do. You know, they they care about their contribution to the team. They have 
winning attitudes, and I think that's something that is that is instilled by Gio Savarese. The question at this point is, how are they going to turn that around? I, I think that one of them obviously has to be moved, and Nishikota makes the most sense. It It is concerning, though, that there hasn't really been a lot in the way of rumblings, r- rumors, connections to this guy or that guy, because, you know, in soccer, a lot of the time, those those sagas play out over the course of weeks. You know, it starts with um, sure. some some random insider on Twitter from from this country or the other saying that they uh, they hear a connection for this team to this guy. Uh, and then it, it kind of starts to build from there. Uh, there really hasn't been any of that. Um, you know, I, I know for a fact that um, Gavin Wilkinson actually mentioned this on, on the podcast when we had him on a few weeks ago that, um, you know, they have they have sought out those type of players, particularly at the striker position in, in three different countries around the world, but um, it ultimately just got too expensive. Um I don't think it could possibly be too expensive now, given the urgency yeah. that that's that's at play here. They need to to spend money to go get somebody. They're third to last in the league, soon to be second to last in the league. Once I, I think there's one move that RSL has uh, to go through that will put them at second, put the Timbers at second to last uh, in MLS in spending. So throw the dang money at it. I mean, if there's a problem and you're serious about continuing to to win and play at a high level and compete for MLS cups. Uh, you got to spend the money, and and if they're not willing to do that, then it's going to be more of the same as far as results go. You know, and uh, I mean, even to be clear, like the Timbers have an open U twenty two spot. That's not the signing they need right now. I, I mean, like make that signing if it's there to be made. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but that's not what they need right now. They need somebody who's going to come in and be a you know, near the top of the league attacking force, somebody who can help them take these good moments that they've had and turn them into good chances, whether it's a striker um, or, or or whether it's it's a playmaker. I think it's easier, frankly, to, to reinforce that striker position right now, given the other personnel on the team. Um, but, you know, I could see arguments to, to go the other way, um, but they need somebody who's going to be consistently that top of the league force. Because guess what? I mean, you know, two and a half years now into the Jimmy Chara experience, solid player, average MLS starter, not that kind of guy, at least not regularly. Once in a while, he looks like it, but not regularly. Um, Sebastian Blanco, there are, you know, certainly was that kind of guy. Again, has moments uh, in that second half against SKC uh, when the Wiz basically just whizzed away the game um, that he looked like that that guy. But that's not something that he's going to be able to do for 1700 minutes down the stretch. Um, and you know, Yaroslav Nishgoda, we've talked about a lot. Um, so, and, and if, if you don't have one of those guys, at least you don't have at least one of those, um, you're just not good in MLS. There's, there's not been a, a team that has done well in MLS without having one of those. The Timbers had Diego Valeri. Seattle's had Nico Ladera and Raul Ruiz Diaz, Clint Dempsey before them, Felipe, uh, you know, you know, uh, 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 you know, the NYCFC has Tati Castellanos and Maxi Morales. Um, I mean, you can go down literally every team. TFC had Sebastian Jovinko, Josie Altador, Michael Bradley. Um, you can go down every good team in MLS, LAFC, Carlos Vela, uh, and, 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 and Diego Rossi and, and, and all the guys that they've had come through. Um, 
like there's no exception, <laughs> right? You see teams punch above their weight once in a while, the Colorado Rapids last year. Um, but that's the, the, the exception to the rule. Uh, and how far did Colorado get in the playoffs? We know very well, not very far. <laughs> they, they got, they got 90 minutes in and then they're out because the Portland Timbers who did have one of those guys <laughs> put them out. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and the Timbers don't right now. And they also sort of don't have kind of the, 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 otherwise the cohesion that, that, that a, a team that does punch above its weight, like, uh, like Colorado has. So I, I, I think that is something that they've got to do. I think they've got, as you put it, they've got to devote the budget to it. There's no way around that. They've got to go get a guy that they're going to, that they're going to, you know, spend high seven figures or low eight figures to bring in to, to be a difference maker because there's, not a whole lot more reason to believe that that's on the roster right now. Definitely. And uh, in a completely unserious uh, note <laughs> to end, to, to bookend this discussion, um, I saw a signing, or was it a transfer the other day, uh, of a, a player to Manchester United, a uh, Dutch player, uh, Urian Timber. Timber, yeah. I mean, yeah. how awesome move. would that have been, <laughs> right? I mean, they're obviously not going to compete. Probably with, not going to get that one. But no, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to get a guy like that uh, when Manchester United is is making the, the type of moves that they are to get somebody like that. But he's a 20-year-old right back. Uh, in another universe, that would have been pretty dang cool to have a guy on the Timbers uh, with the last name Timber. But I digress. That's completely unserious and not at all realistic um, for, for, Maybe someday. for the Timbers. Maybe someday. <laughs> Maybe... Maybe when he's older, uh, that's that's kind of what you hope for uh, with MLS. But anyway, uh, in in ter- terms of older players, uh, particularly club legends in uh, Diego Valeri, uh, he announced his retirement, or rather, uh, pseudo announced it, but not really in like a nice, really beautiful, poetic piece of, of writing that he posted to his his Twitter and Instagram accounts. Um, said goodbye essentially to Lanus, the the club that he uh, played for uh, as a boy and then finished his ostensibly finished his career off with uh, after being transferred away from the Timbers. Uh, Really emotional stuff. You know, you saw an outpouring of support on social media for uh, Diego, uh, particularly from Timbers fans who very obviously have a ton of fond memories over a decade with him. Um, so, so real quick before we move on to the thorns, uh, what what for you as as a longtime Timbers fan stands out in terms of of memories of Diego? So, in in some respects, Diego Valeri did a ton for the Timbers on the field. That is about as lukewarm as takes get. That's that's um, too easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he he did a ton for the Timbers on the field. Um, but I think in some ways he. You know, focusing exclusively on the on-field stuff sells short what he gave to the club and what he brought to the community because he was in many ways sort of an embodiment of what I think sports can be when they're at their best and what sport can be when it's when when it's sort of being what it can be in the community. He was uh, a leader, certainly within the club. Good locker room guy. Great locker room guy. Uh, you see that in in the outpouring of respect and love that he gets um, from his teammates, current and former. 
um, and that that he's received upon both his departure from the Timbers and now his departure from Linus and 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 you know uh, potential retirement. He also is, first of all, the kind of person who makes sport makes professional athletics more approachable. And and the way you see this is through just an absurd number of stories. If you get sort of into Timber's Twitter or, or or whatever at all that you see of of people just with personal stories from Diego Valeri, um, whether it's it's you know kind of showing up out of the blue, not as part of a big team thing, uh, to you know paint rooms for uh for children in in, in the foster care system. Uh, so that they can have uh, have opportunities to visit um, with uh, w- with the, their parents and and to create those those literally safe and welcoming spaces for them. Um, no, no, no club folks there. No Timbers kind of thing. No Timber sweats. Just Diego Valeri being there doing that. It's the number of stories you hear about him showing up at Rose City Futsal uh, and just just playing futsal with with folks that makes suddenly the the sport that we see on the field through TV cameras and paying for tickets and and all that kind of stuff that brings it back to its roots and it brings it back to what's important you know i i it, i it sticks out to me there was somebody at, at some point and i can't remember who this was and i feel bad because i like i have a vague recollection that maybe it was Caitlin Best uh, who who wrote for Rose City Review and, and has done a lot of folks here, a lot of things here in Portland on on both the Thorns and Timbers side. Um, uh, wrote a story basically about Valeri showing up to Rose City Futsal pretty regularly. Um, and uh, and I think it was her. My apologies if I if I have that wrong. Caitlin is nonetheless wonderful. Um, but uh, uh, you know the, the they they asked Valeri, you know, why are you here? <laughs> Basically, like, what's up? What's going on? Uh, and his answer was just so simple, but also so revealing. He was just like, "I love playing, and these are my friends." <laughs> and and that's a that's something that you just don't get in professional sports. That's something that just doesn't happen. And it's something that personalizes sport a lot more. And it's something that that frankly makes it so much more enjoyable I and mean, you don't even have to have been there for it. It's just seeing that sort of purity of it and sort of having that be part of your community that just makes the experience so much more enriching. And then, you know, he was a person who has a tremendous ability to speak with just great sort of clarity about, and, and is not afraid to speak, to speak with clarity about important issues in our community and important issues in our society in a way that both people in sport and clubs often are too cowardly to do. Um, and he didn't do it in an aggressive way or a mean way, or, a he wasn't trying to dunk on anybody. He, he didn't do it that way. He just spoke in terms of values and he, you know, I, 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 I say pretty often like that, Supporters want to see their values reflected in their club. And he was a player and a person who very genuinely sort of reflected those values. And as a fan, that is, I mean, that's, that's what you want. Um, that's what you hope for. And that's what you so often 
usually don't get. Almost always don't get. I mean, so in terms of all of those factors, in in my sports watching following career, and I'm a fan of lots of teams, I watch lots of sports, it's a constant point of conversation in my family. Diego Valeri is, is singular in his ability to be all of those things from all, all of my time following sports. So I have, I've been fans of many great players, many great players who were also great people. Brandon Roy, Damian Lillard, Marcus Mariota. I mean, you, you can you can walk down Diego Chara. I mean, you can walk down the list, and these are all wonderful people, phenomenal people, phenomenal players. Had a great time following them on the field and off. Um, but I think Diego Valeri is singular and stands alone uh, in in terms of all of those things. So uh, you know, I mean, that's a, a a clumsy haphazard attempt to sort of express what what I think Diego Valeri meant to the club. But the I mean, simpler way to sum it up is that if the club was more like Diego Valeri, and if the club could be more like Diego Valeri, if the club could form itself in Diego Valeri's image, it would be an incredible thing. Definitely. And I think that there's an opportunity for, for his influence to, to be greater, too, now with, with the, the um, talks of him joining the front office um, once, once he's fully retired. Uh, I'm told by people in the Timbers organization that the plan to – um, have a, a testimonial game between Lanus and the Timbers in 2023 is still uh, on the books uh, for, for Diego to play a half for each team uh, and for the teams to play each other at Providence Park. Uh, so, so that should be a really beautiful moment. I agree with you on, on your larger point as well. I think that Diego Valeri is, is one of those rare sports figures that fans of the league in general, but specifically in Portland, should be grateful for. I, I think that he grew the game uh, through his stardom, through his off-field advocacy. He was a tremendous figure in MLS history and, and should be acknowledged as such. I think a lot, and, and you mentioned his name, about people like Damian Lillard, right? Uh, ambassadors for the community who uh, are unbelievable talents who have, that have created memories that will last the rest of our lives as as Portland sports fans, right? Diego is to me at the top of that, right there with somebody like Damian Lillard, because um, the the influence of of the NBA may be larger, but uh, the impact overall on the city, I, I think that they're very close. Uh, Damian Lillard is a guy too that. Um, you know, combines that advocacy with evident character. Um, and, and character matters way more than people give it credit for. There's so much on the internet about you know, all these debates about who's got the rings, who, who's got the championships, who's winning, who's losing. Uh, just this, you know, empty, vapid, you know, nonsense about sports that everybody just gets into these little tiny arguments about who should go here, who's better, this or that. And I think that guys like Diego Valeri and guys like Damian Lillard cut through that because it 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 shows to me the the greater power of sports and that's the binding of a community around a common set of goals and ideals. Uh, so I agree with you. I think that if the, the club, that being PTFC, more closely embodied the values of somebody like Diego Valeri, I think that they'd be able to bridge what is a very clear gap between them and their fans right now. Uh, and, and I would hope that they see someone like Diego and, and try to embody him as best they, they can going forward and bring him into the fold in ways that can keep him directly involved and keep him 
in close contact with fans. The point you're making is is very starkly demonstrated by just the last sort of seven months of experience with with the Timbers, right? Timbers had a really good year last year on the field. Got to MLS Cup, hosted MLS Cup, came penalties away from winning MLS Cup on their home field. Doesn't get better than that. <laughs> I mean, it gets a little bit better than that, but yeah, but, the, the but one thing that's better, better that. is yeah. is winning it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it gets slightly better than that, but not a lot better uh, than that. Oh, but that's a very. But you know, I mean, focusing exclusively on that is a very superficial understanding of what a sports team has the ability to be in a community and the connection that a team has the ability to generate with its fan base. What takes it from that superficial understanding of what that connection to be to a, a fuller understanding are the attributes that Diego Valeri shows. You know, I, I, I think it's, it's a task far beyond me to sort of be able to articulate on a podcast speaking off the cuff. Uh, what Valeri m- means to the club. I don't want to say meant, but means to the club because I think he's going to continue to mean those things to the club. But, you know, I, I think that's that's the the best I can do it. <laughs> I, I certainly invite folks to, to put it better. And frankly, when it comes to putting something uh, both articulately and beautifully, uh, there's very few folks better than Valeri himself. Exactly. That, that, uh, that poetic letter is a good example too. Um, a a team that has a number of players who I I think, um, can have that, that type of impact on a community if they're, if they will be more celebrated is the, is the Portland Thorns. Um, you know, Christine Sinclair is somebody who has had a significant impact locally, uh, Megan Klingenberg, Becky Sauerbrunn, Sauerbrunn nationally, Sauerbrunn on a national level with this equal pay, uh, and Klingenberg as well. Kling was yeah. has, was has been yeah. very involved in that process. Not to take anything away, but but Becky, I mean, really has has been a sort of apex leader of that process. Right. She's definitely been one of the the front facing leaders of of this, alongside people like Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, and others. Um, the Thorns, in particular, uh, on the field, you know, they're in a, a kind of a weird spot where they're slumping, but not really uh, four game winless streak. So. You know, that is what it is, but it's a Timbers style winless streak where three of the four are our draws. <laughs> so no, the Timbers would kill for that style. I was going to say right that <laughs> we're talking about a few months ago version yeah. of the Timbers, not uh, not the current one that would absolutely die for three draws as opposed to, to three losses, which is what they're on. Um, but four game winless streak either way coming into tonight's game. We're recording this on Friday. So tonight's game uh, against Angel City FC. Uh, that Chicago game, they they kind of had to fight back to to get a draw. Uh, Sophia Smith's greatness tends to to cover up some problems. In the, the portions of the game that I did catch, uh, really exciting to see Hina Sugata get into the books for the first time in MLS with her, her first goal. Um tremendous skill showcased on, on that take too. I mean, that, yeah, that shows really what she's nice. all about. I loved it. So I actually overall came away feeling pretty good about this game. Uh, you know, the, there were some defensive issues, certainly, especially early on um, that, that the red stars took advantage of and that sort of put the thorns behind the eight ball. But I actually thought they, they, they fought like hell in this game. Uh, and that's, that's a really good sign. 
Uh, I think they have been a team that's been very smart. They've been a team that's been very organized. Um, I think they've been outfought in some games. I, I, I think back to that game against uh, against San Diego uh, in in the Challenge Cup, where they they really punched the wave in the mouth in the first half, and then the wave crushed them in the, in the second half. And it, it was uh, and it was a matter of uh, of of frankly being outfought. And there were some times where I kind of felt like the Thorns maybe got a little bit bullied. Uh, thinking about the spirit game uh, at, at Providence Park a couple weeks back, where it kind of felt like the Thorns got a little bit bullied uh, in that game, and 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 they were just outfought. I thought the Thorns looked up for it in this one, uh, and and coming back twice, um, I think, and 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 sort of just grinding out that two-two draw. I thought that was a, a even though it was a an imperfect performance. Uh, I really thought it was a character building one and it's something that, that I think they can, as they figure out some of these tactical things, which I, I really still regard as kind of just the inevitable, unavoidable turbulence that they were going to face at some point. Um, and that it, it's in many ways a little bit surprising that it hasn't been until now that they faced it. I thought they'd really be in the throes of it from the jump, basically. Um, uh, having those kinds of performances, is a really good way to start building out of that. Uh, and so I actually came out of this uh, for for its flaws um, and for its blemishes pretty positive about where the thorns are going. Uh, and and I got I mean my tail's pretty tall coming into the tonight. I think this is a, a game that the thorns uh, can feel like they can get on the front foot in um, and and could be a little bit of, of a we're back. Uh, kind of game if if they can they can uh, put in the performance that I think they're capable of right and and I think Green Wilkinson expects something like that in order for them to to show their metal um, you know she's been careful as far as rotating players in and not uh, not pushing too hard there are other teams like Angel City like the San Diego Wave who have not done that they've they uh, have chosen to to go hard early in the season and. Um, Reen Wilkinson has noted that, you know, that might lead to them getting off to stronger starts, which you look at the NWSL table, the two expansion sides are at the top. Um, So, so the big key obviously tonight against Angel City for them is defending in transition. Uh, Those are issues that um, Reen has brought up time and again over the last several games. Uh, They really showed themselves in the Houston game where for the most part, Portland defended very well, but there were a few moments a lapse here or there uh, that that led to those quality opportunities for Houston, and they cashed them in. You know, NWSL top to bottom, uh, you you aren't careful against uh, even a mid level team. Uh, that's going to happen to you. Uh, there's just too much skill in the league for for you to uh, get away with something like that. Uh, particularly when you're playing a team like a um, like this LA squad, this Angel City squad that uh, has Kristen press. I mean, you, you don't, want, you don't want to mess around with defending poorly in transition when you've got a, a world level talent like her uh, on the other side. Um, a- another thing that is noteworthy and, and, you know, is kind of in the similar parallel to the, to the timbers is finishing um, the, the difference with, with the Portland thorns versus the Portland timbers is the thorns actually has, ha- well, yes, that's part <laughs> of it. Yes. Sophia Smith and, everybody else they have the talent in place that <laughs> yeah. to actually you know do it um the, the timbers however are able to finish despite the lack of personnel uh so so the thorns team uh, with all of the the guns that they have up front 
they've got to finish those chances. And uh, it's a matter of, of focus in those situations. Um, but, you know, if they play the way they did against Kansas City, where they just create a massive wave of opportunities, uh, finish a decent portion of them, then you're, you're winning 3-1 or 3-0, you know, and, and you, you feel confident going into your next match. And I, I certainly agree that defending in transition is is on sort of the 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 back half of the field, the most important thing that the Thorns have to figure out now. We so often in those moments focus on sort of what's going on in the opponent's final third. I think there's a significant part of this that comes that's gonna boil down to the Thorns figuring out how they want to repress uh in the moments where they do turn the ball over and the other team has an opportunity to get out in transition. Uh, if you can kill transition opportunities in the cradle for the other team, that is the way to go. Um, and and I, I think the Thorns have done an inconsistent job of that uh, over the course of the last few weeks. And, and, and so, I mean, for me, that's the bigger thing. Because once they're in space, that fire is a lot harder to put out. Um, once they've, they've ripped you open, that, that's a much more pr- difficult problem to solve. But making sure that they're in position to repress uh, when they do turn over the ball, which happens. I don't think the Thorns are are an unusually wasteful team uh, in vulnerable spots, but making sure they're in position to repress and then having just the, the sort of the, both the, the organization and the, the, you know, the stick to the, 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 the fire um, to make sure that you're very aggressively sniffing out those uh, snuffing out those, those uh, chances when they, they arise for the other side. I, I think that's going to be what's, what's critical. Um, and I think the thorns have been a little bit passive at times, uh, when they turn the ball over in doing that in, in, in denying that first ball that the other team wants to play, making them play backwards, uh, or immediately looking to win the ball back. Uh, I mean, sort of on the, the extreme kind of Red Bull, uh, kind of end of it, of immediately trying to win the ball back. It, you don't necessarily have to do that in order to, 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 get, you know, to snuff out those opportunities. Sometimes it's just a matter of denying a particular pass, uh, making them play, uh, play backwards, making them sort of pull things back, uh, and set up, um, they, that you can, uh, they can get the same job done. Uh, but for me, that is the biggest thing. Uh, I, I certainly agree with that from a, a tactical perspective that they've got to figure out. Um, I still, though, I'm pretty bullish, uh, about where the team is going from here. And I think, uh, a, a, an angel city team that thanks to a pretty favorable early season schedule, uh, has punched a little bit above, above its weight so far. I think this is a team that the thorns can feel like, uh, they can, they can get on top of and, and, and put together a, a, a performance that I'll call a mini statement. So that's my expectation for tonight. Uh, high expectations, uh, for the thorns. Yeah. As, as honestly, there should be for the entire season. You know, this is a team that has aspirations to, to repeat as, as shield winners and, and try and, and win the whole dang thing. Um, so in order to build on that, you gotta, you know, get the wins in the early season that you feel like you can get, um, start to build some level of momentum. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it's different in a lot of ways because, uh, NWSL isn't, you know, conference based the way that MLS is. So, uh, you basically from the jump, just got to start building up that point, uh, total and, and just trying to find yourself in as good a position as possible. Now, the Thorns hosted uh, the semifinal last year and then lost to the Red Stars. Uh, but you s- still would much rather be in the situation where you're hosting uh, 
a, a major playoff game than not, especially given the the ravenous fans that are at Providence Park that uh, would surely fill the place up for for a Thorns playoff game and be um, the best atmosphere in NWSL, no question. Um, you know, going forward, I think that they they have everybody essentially healthy. Uh, Mangus Emily Mangus has uh, an injury that she's dealing with right now uh, with her right foot, and she's going to be out for a little while. Um, Crystal Dunn, actually, congratulations to to her and Mar- her uh, bringing Marcel into the world with her husband Pierre Soubre. Uh They forgive me, Pierre, for absolutely butchering probably the pronunciation of your last name, but uh, little Marcel has joined the world. Another uh, PTFC fan, as as is evidenced by the little blankies that he's got uh, that have uh, PTFC logos on them, but. Um, Crystal is already working her way back. She posted some uh, Instagram stories of her uh, doing workouts on their living room floor. Uh, it, it probably helps to have the team's trainer as as your husband. Uh, that's that's a pretty sweet built-in recovery mechanism to, to have somebody like that uh, in your household. But um, excited to see her come back whenever she's ready. Uh, that's an addition to, to that uh, back half for the thorns that um, will be exciting. Uh, So congrats to them, but uh, on the field thorns are in a position right now where um, they can build momentum based on this next stretch of games. Uh, When tonight, then you're on the road at the wave who like the angel city team that they're playing tonight has kind of punched above their weight. Um, One of the lower tier teams, projected at least in in an nwsl go on the road to houston uh to get a chance at some revenge there against a team that came into your place and, and smacked you in the mouth um and then you return home to face the orlando pride uh june 19th before uh, a couple weeks off so this is a very this is a pretty important stretch as as any stretches during the limited number of games in nwsl season um, come out of this with two or three wins and you're feeling good. I, I think that that's what you should expect if you're, if you're Rean Wilkinson and company. I mean, what they're, they're ninth right now, but they're three points out of second. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so I, you know, standings I mean, do not mean anything right now. And yeah. it's very much sort of a Peloton kind of situation right now, uh, in, in NWSL. And so it doesn't take much, uh, to vault the, to sort of leapfrog that field. Um, and, you know, if the Thorns did come out of this stretch with a couple or three wins, uh, a couple draws and or, or a couple wins and a draw or something like that, or three wins, they would be right up among, they would be right in the race. Um, and so, yeah, I agree. There have been a couple of disappointing results uh, over the last few weeks, but it's, uh, it is all to play for, uh, for the Thorns. They are not in anything remotely approximating the hole that the Timbers have dug for themselves. Yeah, there's no panic here. It's it's all very much uh trust the process type of situation. And not in like the weird, you know, empty way that, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers talked about it back when they were terrible year after year. I'm talking about like the actual process that winning teams go through uh um, yeah. throughout the course of a regular season. This is this is a team with higher aspirations. They don't they they care about, you know, having a few draws in a row, but they know that that's not going to be a trend that is going to continue into yeah. the, into the long term. 
I certainly agree. Oh, um, so yeah, uh, I'm excited for the game tonight. I, I, I think it, it it's it's an opportunity to sort of get back fully on the front foot uh, for the Thorns, and I think they're poised to do it. Yep, and it's Pride Night, so an important night for uh, Rose City faithful, and and something that um, I think all sports franchises can do more to to show more than just a tacit, you know, surface level amount of support for the LGBTQ plus community in, in this country. And, and, um, and it's especially important right now, given that that sports have become, I mean, frustratingly, devastatingly sort of the front lines uh, in in the equality fight. Um, and and so I think I, I think it's a, it's an especially important moment uh, in, in that respect. No doubt. And there are a few sports fan groups in, in this country that are more vociferous in their support for and advocacy for the LGBTQ plus community than the Rose City Riveters uh, time and again have have come out in support of, of human rights in all manner of society, but particularly uh, on those issues. So uh, looking forward to tonight's game and, and seeing what they have in store, whether it's a, uh, a TIFO or a banner or whatever they um they choose to hold up uh, any any other statements they might make. Uh, it's it's always exciting to to see what they have in store and see how they're going to be involved. But that will wrap it up for us here on Soccer Made in Portland uh, for Chris Reifer. I'm Ryan Clark. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to subscribe and like us wherever you can. Uh, leave a review and keep on listening. Thanks again, y'all.